My brothers and sisters, today we celebrate the Feast of the Blessed Trinity. And the Trinity is revealed in a kind of an implicit manner in our Gospel today. We've got the famous John 3.16 that we see at football games and on bumper stickers. And uh, the opening line of that verse goes as follows. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him might be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. In an indirect fashion, the most important mystery of our faith as Christians, the, the mystery of the Trinity, is revealed. Because we see God's love expressed in two different ways. We see it expressed in creation, and we see it expressed in redemption. And uh, the Trinity is all about God's love. The mystery of the Trinity reveals to us that from all eternity, apart from whether or not God ever created the world, God is love. As we learn in the first epistle of St. John, that God is love. It's not that God just, it's not just that God loves, but that God is love. How, how so? How is that the case? It is because God is a communion of three persons and one nature. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in communion with one another. That communion, that bond is love. So at the heart of reality, the heart of reality is this communion of love. And that would be true. It would be the case even if the world never existed. Okay, God didn't need to create the world. All right, the world is not a necessary reality. But, in fact, God just freely, of his own bounty and generosity, decided to create the world. And he did it out of love. And uh, that love of the Trinity is then seen in the world. And so this is where we say, God so loved the world. He's talking about creation here. Okay? That he, that he gave his only begotten son. That's the redemption. So God's love is expressed in creation. He created us out of love. And then, even foreseeing the arrival of human sin into the world, he nonetheless decided to redeem us so that we would not be lost and separated from him forever. And so that's the redemption. So he sent his only begotten son. And it's with the sending of the son, it's with the incarnation of the son, that the mystery of the Trinity is revealed. Before Jesus came into the world, the mystery that God is a Trinity was not fully uh, made known to human beings. Okay, it was revealed in the Old Testament in kind of indirect and veiled fashions, but it wasn't explicitly revealed until the Son of God came and revealed to us the mystery of the Trinity, the mystery that God is love. And uh, that love is expressed in creation, it's expressed in redemption. The redemption is seen, the love that is the Trinitarian love that's seen in the redemption is seen course in the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Jesus' blood, any any amount of Jesus' blood would have been sufficient to redeem us. A single prick of the thorn of his crowns, that would have redeemed us. Okay? A single lash of the whip on Jesus' back, that would have redeemed us. That would have been sufficient. But Jesus, out of love for us, decided to go much further. And he embraced the entire uh, the entire course of the passion.
Okay, and he went to the cross and he died for us. All the horrendous things that he suffered on our behalf. And the, that Trinitarian love seen in creation, seen in redemption, is expressed in, in a privileged way in, in, in different created realities. And it's been pretty common over the past 30 years for preachers to talk about how God's Trinitarian love is expressed in the family. And I've got a movie reference for you guys, for you movie buffs out there. I've got a movie reference that I think is a really nice illustration of the, Trin- the love of the Trinity expressed in the family that's also a very good illustration of the redemption. And you guys know me, I, I think I've said this to you before, especially when I was in my homily about uh, Mr. Rogers. I'm not sure if you heard that one or not, but I thought the Mr. Rogers movie, the recent one that came out, was really good. But I'm a movie snob. I'm a self-proclaimed movie snob. I hate all movies. I think they're a complete waste of time and that like billions of dollars have been spent and completely flushed down the toilet because almost all movies completely stink. Terrible acting, terrible script, terrible, you know, everything, you know. So especially today, you got it's just you're watching a computer program. It's like it's all special effects that are done on computers. But I know I'm picky, okay, and I'm hard to please when it comes to movies. But every once in a while, a movie comes along and makes it onto my A list. And I saw a few months ago a movie from 2005 uh, called The Cinderella Man, and I think that that's a really great movie. It's got an excellent script, excellent acting, and cinematography is very good. It's about it's based on a true story of a man by the name of James Braddock, who was uh, an, uh, an Irishman from New Jersey. He's a boxer. And it's about his story of encountering great failure in his profession of boxing. And actually, he, he broke his right hand, and then he became decommissioned. The league decommissioned him, and so he was kind of disgraced. Um, and, but then he got a lucky break, Later on, and he made it back, and then he actually won the heavyweight uh, title. Um, and it's a true story. It's based on a true story, and he's a good uh, Irish Catholic, Irish, uh, you know, New Jersey guy. Um, but in there, we see this deeper plot about the love of the family, and uh, it's a wonderful relationship between him and his wife, and, his, and they've got about three kids, I think. And right when he's decommissioned from his uh, ability to to box his license is taken away from him. The depression hits, and so it's like adding insult to injury. And uh, so he's going around trying to find work. He works. He finds some work on the docks, and thereby he strengthens his left hand. And so that's how he's able to win when he gets back. Because his left hand is much stronger now. <laughs> but but he so he works a little bit on the docks. But he has a hard time finding finding work. And at one point. Uh, the, you can see like their, the interior of their house becomes less and less um, nice because they have to start selling everything. Okay, and they're living in this little apartment. They're reduced to living in this little cramped apartment. And at one point, his son, who's maybe seven or eight years old, goes and he steals uh, from a butcher's shop. And the parents find out, and James Braddock takes his son, takes the item that was stolen, walks down the street, uh, back to the butcher's shop, and he makes a son apologized to the owner and he returns the item. They walk outside and he, and he kneels down with his son and he says like and he's very, he's very gentle and he's very loving but he says no matter how hard it gets, okay because they're going through the depression, no matter how hard it gets we don't do that we don't steal. You got it? You got it? And the kid confesses and he says you know uh, daddy why I stole this because in school you know he had a friend Johnny let's call him 
Johnny was, Johnny's parents had a hard time making ends meet, and so they sent him away. And I don't want to be sent away because you guys are having a hard time making ends meet, and I don't want to be sent away. <laughs> so that was his whole reason why he stole, you know. And uh, so after James Braddock uh, makes some promise never to steal again, he gets down on his knees and he says, and I promise I'm never going to send you away. Okay, it's a really nice scene. Later on, however, he continues to have a hard time finding work and making money. And the, uh, the uh, landlord actually turns off their heat because they can't pay the heat bill, okay, or the power company or whoever it is, turns off their heat because they can't, they can't pay the heat bill. And so he comes, James Braddock comes home one day after a fruitless search for work to find that his children are missing. And it's the mother who was watching her children start to get sick and cough and all. She just was really afraid for their lives. And so she sent them away, you know, one to the uncle's house, one to the aunt's house, one to, you know, so forth and so on. And uh, James Braddock is, he's very shocked and he's mad. They kind of have a little bit of an argument and a fight, although he sort of understands and he's not too mad at her. And what he does is something absolutely remarkable that I think is an amazing illustration of the passion. You see, Jesus, again, like I said, it wasn't just enough to have a prick of the thorn in the brow or one lash. He embraced the entire uh, torment of the passion. And one of the worst parts about the passion was its humiliation and its shame. Okay, And so it says in the book of Hebrews that... Uh, he endured the shame. He endured the cross, despising the shame. It's kind of interesting. Endured the cross, despising the shame. What is it? What is it? What does the scripture mean by that? It's that Jesus said he took. He looked at the shame of the cross and the humiliation. He said, "You're nothing. I can take you." Okay. He despised the shame, and he, that, but the humiliation of the cross was one of its worst, most horrible elements. And so what James Braddock does, I think it's a really amazing sign of, the, of the, the humiliation of the cross. He goes back to the very men who fired him, who decommissioned him, who, before whose eyes he was humiliated, and he begs for money. Okay. Now, in the course of a man's life, the men here present would understand this, the women understand it too, I guess. Especially for a man, when you're shamed or defeated or lose in a professional workplace or what have you, you say, okay, all right. And you go off and you find another niche in society, wherever it is, and you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you work hard and you find something, you carve out a sphere of success for yourself and for your family. And thereby you redeem yourself in the eyes of the men before whom you were shamed all right, and you regain some self-respect, and that's how you deal with it. And there's not—that's not there's nothing wrong with that. That's not a sign of the vice of pride. That's just the natural way that uh, a male psychology of how men are, are designed. For James Braddock to go back to the men before whose eyes he was shamed, and he's standing there with his hat in hand. He takes off his hat. He walks in, and they're all smoking cigars, and they're sitting around, and they're, they're counting their money and whatnot. And it's the, the chief boss of the league who decommissioned him is there. And he takes his hat off, and he says, I wouldn't be doing this unless it was for my family. And 
the, the utter shame and the humiliation, the acting is brilliant. It's unbelievable. There's every, all the men in that room. It's an all-male room, and they all understand how incredibly humiliating. Some of them are disgusted at him. Some are angry. Others are kind of shamed into giving him. Others have true pity for him. And what, even it doesn't matter. <laughs> whole, whole experience of a guy having to do that. It's unbelievably humiliating. But it's just like Jesus going through the whole passion. Somehow he wasn't rattled, even in the slightest bit. And there was a deeper sense of strength and honor in our Lord, even though he was so humiliated before everybody. There was a deeper sense of honor and strength. And you know where it came from? It came from love. It's for love of us that he endured the cross and despised the shame. And so also in this scene, you can see that James Braddock is... Humiliated, but at the same time, there's something deeper that's impelling him, and it's his love for his family, and the honor of his word that he gave to his son that he's never going to send him away. Okay, and eventually he gets the eighteen dollars and thirty-five cents that he needs, and he goes back and he pays the heating bill, and thereby he redeems his children, and they're able to come home and to be together as a family. Wonderful, wonderful scene. Uh, very, very brilliant. To me, my brothers and sisters, that is just a little illustration of Christ paying the price for us, embracing that the humiliation of the cross out of that love. And we see that love, the love of the Trinity in the family. My brothers and sisters, what's the, what's the application for us? The love of the Trinity is given to us in our hearts through the sacrament of baptism. And when we have that love, when we know that love, what do we have to fear? What ultimately can truly disappoint us in life? What kind of failure or, uh, you know, being misunderstood or being shamed or what, what negative thing could possibly happen in our life that would really rattle us? Given the love of the Blessed Trinity, Poured out into our hearts through the sacrament of holy baptism. My brothers and sisters, we belong to the Trinity, the family of the Trinity. We are a member. We were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And God's love is never going to send us away. We belong. We belong. And then when we go out into the world and we relate to other human beings, what, you know, who is there that we cannot find it in our hearts to forgive? What sort of offense might we have or insult that we might have ever experienced that is bigger than the love of Christ for us, that Trinitarian love that is expressed in creation and redemption? No, my brothers and sisters, there's, there's nothing, no enmity, no conflict, no disappointment, no anything that's greater than the Trinity, that's greater than the Trinitarian love of God given to us, expressed in the family, you know, but seen above all in the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ.